What's up and welcome back to Anybody and Everybody. I'm your host, Herm, and today we have a fantastic guest for you. But not only do we have a fantastic guest for you, today is November 3rd. And if you live in the States, you know what that means. You got to get out and vote. If you haven't already sent in your mail-in ballot or voted early, make sure you get to the polls today. Cast your vote. Everyone's voice matters. Everybody needs to get their vote in. So that is crucial. That is going to be a huge part of my conversation after the interview. But let me tell you, getting back to it, we have a beauty on the show today. Chris Jastrzemski from ESPN. He's an insider in lacrosse. He does so much. We talk about quite literally every sport ever played on this episode, and it is fantastic. There's so much great content that comes out of it. And at one point, I reveal one of my biggest secrets to the lacrosse community. So you're going to want to make sure you stay tuned for the whole thing. But without further ado, here it is, Chris Jastrzemski. I have to start off by saying that before all everything else that I say, I am I'm a fan of yours. Um, I think that that is uh, pumping your tires a little bit to get things started here. But um, I I've been following you now. I, forgive me for my ignorance, but I didn't follow you soon enough um, on Twitter because you helped me with breaking news in every realm of life. But um, dude, thanks for coming on the show. This is this is going to be a lot of fun. And uh, how how's everything going? Everything's going well. Uh... As many people know that I am at ESPN, um, I'm currently on the Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt staff. I've been there for about a year. Uh, it's been fun. I mean, the, the past few months where we've had no sports and we've had to kind of make the show up as we go along, kind of with guests and other segments, it, it was kind of rough. Um, but thankfully, we have some sports. We're kind of back to like a semi-pandemic mode where you know, some of our days, like, we don't have sports on, but we have things to look ahead to, whereas back in the spring and early summer, we didn't have anything to really look forward to. We were just hoping for something to look forward to, so. Right. Um, with, well, the nice thing with Van Pelt, right, you're, you're always trying to tell stories. It's not necessarily about, like, what's happening directly, right? Oh, it's, it's I mean, it's kind of like we're, we're telling the news. We're, Scott has his own spin to it. We do have like some guests on. Like I know this yesterday, last night's Thursday show, we had a uh, Penn State coach James Franklin on. We had a couple guests about the Trevor Lawrence stuff. I mean, we bring on guests. We we've had McConaughey on. We've had Matt Damon on. Like we'll have like some of these like big name non sports guests occasionally, mm-hmm. along with you know the coaches and some players here and there. But it's kind of a mixture. Like I know like people want to see highlights and they just want to see how the game went, but. Also, like, especially now, like, if there's nothing to, to have highlights on, why not, let's just get, like, a guest or two. Right, um, right, right. Now, do you get to meet these cats, like uh, McConaughey or Damon? They are all, they're all taped. So, oh. McConaughey, when we did him in, in the spring, he was in Texas. Matt Damon, when we did him for Ford versus Ferrari, um, we actually saw the movie. It was an early screening. Me, Scott, and a couple other people in the show. We had like a little private theater in on That's campus sick. somehow. Um, he saw the movie, and then like a couple of days later, we did the Matt Damon interview. He was probably in Los Los Angeles, um, but most of these people are usually like out somewhere, whether it's at their home or at a studio or some other camera. Uh, it's it's very rare, and I, I don't know if it's going to be rare now that Scott's in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's tough to like not to it's tough to meet these people because they're not usually not in studio 
Now, are you and Scott, like, on first-name basis? You guys text each other? Uh, texting, not yet. In our Zoom meetings, he calls me by my uh, nickname, so he knows who I am. Uh, Steve, Steve's the guy that I, I text with. Oh, okay. He's got a, he's got a cousin, uh, excuse me, a nephew that's going to Navy, Jack. Uh-huh. Lacrosse. So oh, that's sick. So he's lacrosse stuff a little bit, too. I guess that helps you, like, slide the lacrosse highlights in there occasionally. A little bit. Oh, yeah. They, they, look, they look to me as now, like, the newsbreaker on the, uh, the show, kind of. Not with lacrosse, but, like, anytime, like, there's, like, something that, that kind of pops up from, like, a Woj report, should I kind of break it in our little pre-show meeting? And they, there's a running joke, like, oh, there's Jazz breaking the news again. Well, dude, I got to ask you. This, this is something I find incredibly admirable about you. How are you on top of it? Like, I feel like I could look at Twitter any time of the day and you're breaking some kind of news or sharing some kind of breaking news. Do you have, like, all of your notifications on or do you just, like, Twitter constantly? I'm kind of on Twitter constantly. It might be bad I'm on Twitter constantly, but um, I'm at work and I, I usually, like, I have, like, a few tabs up for work stuff. And then I also have Twitter because, obviously, like, at work, if we, we all find stuff out through Twitter, mm-hmm. like Trevor Lawrence testing positive for COVID. Right. We knew about this earlier, but we found out really most of us found out on Twitter about this. So that's kind of how like it's important for us to know. And especially like during a show, like something pops up on Twitter, like a tweet or whatever we could use that in the show. So um, I think my job right now, my full-time job makes me need to use Twitter a lot more than just being some, some guy in wall street, just crouching numbers. Right, right, right. Totally. Now, that being said, take me, take me through, because I think a lot of people are curious about this. Like, like my job is very self-sufficient, whatever. Like, I just log on and get on Twitter for signature and shit like that. But for you, what's a day look like working at ESPN? I mean, it sounds like, like a dream to me. Yeah, so I usually, usually go in around four for like a normal Van Pelt show. I go in around four. We have a pre-show meeting on Zoom at 4.30 or Our- are, it's me and a few other PAs and CAs, production assistants, AP, whatever, the show staff, our producer and recording producer and director are in the room, and then Scott's on Zoom in D.C. and Stanford Steve's also on a Zoom call in D.C., whatever. We're going through, you know, we ask Scott, like, you know, what, what is on his mind or whatever, we have any guests, whatever, kind of our time to pitch our ideas, like, like Letterman or, or Fallon, where they have their own show staff and they pitch their ideas, whatever. Right. Um, Usually around lasts around a half hour. Sometimes can go to forty five, maybe an hour, depending on how much we like discussing what's going on, or if there's any interruptions with, you know, Scott's family, whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah. So after that, like around five, or whenever we get done our meeting to close to showtime, whenever that could be, it could be eleven, it could be eleven thirty on a Monday night, it could be a midnight show we had on Thursday. Uh, it's just me and all the PAs and all the people in the show just kind of putting together the elements or putting together interviews. As I mentioned on Thursday, we had James Franklin. Um, and then kind of just figuring out, talking to producers, like, or maybe even pitching ideas that we might have seen elsewhere that just can't, kind of came in, trying to pitch that to those producers and maybe figuring out how to, like, structure the show. Um, sometimes you might tape tape segments, usually – on Monday nights, we tape Bad Beats, which mm-hmm. is an entire block for us. Um, and then Showtime is Showtime, and we have a couple people in a, in a media room where we have a quick highlight or quick uh, press conferences, like a Monday night, if there's 
obviously we follow the Monday night game. So if there's, say, like, kind of think of the Rams and Bears, say Jared Goff's talking during the middle of our show and we want to use a really good fight, we're able to quickly turn that around and then show it as quickly as possible that we can to to our uh, to our audience. Are you just getting in uh, hit Scott's ear then and being like, hey, we're going to well, go to this? That'll be, that'll be the producer. So we're getting into the producers here. Like, hey, we have this really good Jared Goff fight you can run maybe coming into the, the retreatment of the Monday Night Football game. They'll listen to it in the break, and then producer will kind of decide, like, we're going to run that, and then we'll, we'll run the, uh, the retreatment. Gotcha. So Dude, that's we're so sick. pitching stuff as we go along. And then at, after the show's done and we're done taping, we have a short, like, 15-minute post-show meeting, and then that's it. And that's our day. And it's usually get out at, like, 1 a.m., 1.30, maybe mm-hmm. 2 a.m. Now, what, what was it like the first time that your, like, a highlight you put together or something like that was on ESPN? Uh the first highlight I did, I think it was a hockey highlight. It was an afternoon hockey highlight featuring the Panthers. It's one of the, like, the NHL European games where they went over to Europe and they played a game. And yeah. I was like the only game going on. And I think the six o'clock sports center wanted something for that. So I had to get like a one minute highlight together, put that together, put it in an edit room, you know, polish it up and get the shot. sheet, which is pretty much like what the anchors would read, like play by play, like what happens. Um, and then just send it to them. And that was, I think it was my first highlight, maybe in like October of 2018. I started in August of 2018. That's so sick, man. Were you, and, were you a little just like starstruck? Not starstruck, I guess isn't the right word, but just it like, was weird. You know. Not really. I'll mm-hmm. be quite honest. I wasn't really, really starstruck. Like, oh, look, that's my highlight. Like, I might have had like, all right, that's, I, I made it, I made it on, I think made it on TV. Like, I might have been proud for a little bit, but it was weird because like, I wasn't really like, oh, wow, this is the sickest thing ever. Like, I was like, right. all right, it's great. I'll have more, and let's just build on it. <laughs> That's um, fantastic, man. I think the, the biggest, you could go off that, kind of like the starstruck moment, I think it was last Thanksgiving. I did a Georgia-Michigan State basketball game. Anthony Edwards went off for Georgia after Michigan State had a huge first half. He went off in the second half. They kind of got took like a two-point lead, or maybe they cut it to one. They were down by one like late in the second, and then Michigan State kind of – came back and they won it. Um, that was right the day before Thanksgiving. I got that highlight done. I kind of drove home at like 11.30 back to Philly. And then I kind of was up in my bedroom because I wanted to see how the highlight turned out. And, like, I just remembered it was L.A. Sports Center with Neil Everett, Stan Barrett. I don't have any memories of maybe waking up early in the morning and watching the re-airs of that show. I had those same kind of memories like 10 years prior when I was maybe in, like, seventh or eighth grade maybe freshman year of high school where I would maybe get up at like six in the morning before I go to school and watch Stan and Neil on Sports Center and it's like I'm in my bed I'm like holy shit that's my highlight and I was here <laughs> 10 years ago in this same spot hoping that I could do a highlight like that so that was I think that that thing just making it full circle is probably the coolest thing ever right right so okay well that's actually a perfect transition let's let's take it back when at what age then do you come to the realization like broadcast do working on tv something along those lines is something that you were really passionate about something you wanted to do in journalism young young um seven six seven like it was very very i think when mellow won when mellow won the national championship in 03 
I think my mind was set that I wanted to go to Syracuse and I wanted to go to sports broadcasting and then learning about Newhouse. I'm like, that's the school I want to go to. And then when I got into, you know, junior year, senior year of college, I visited Syracuse. I loved Syracuse. That's where I wanted to be. I loved, I joined Penn State. I went to Temple. I went to Maryland. I did all these visits. And I told my mom, like, I want to do early decision for Syracuse. And she was like, no. She kind of was, like, pushed back a little bit because she wanted to see all the options. And I was like, I really want to do this, and I want to make sure, like, I get in because it's obviously a really competitive school. Yeah. So we decided we still did regular decision. I ended up getting into Newhouse still. I was happy. That was the one place I wanted to be. If I didn't get into Newhouse, I got to like Syracuse, but a different program. I probably went about to Penn State or some other school. Um, but I knew Newhouse was the number one destination for me. Went there. My senior year of college, when we were doing like news newscast classes, I was anchoring. I was doing a lot of reporter packages and then like one day I also worked at um you know KYW the news mm-hmm. radio station I worked there for my senior year of high school till right where I got to, to ESPN on the summer to winters when I was home but I kind of knew like the the production side the the producer side of things but when I first kind of did my first producing my first newscast I'm like this is where I want to be I just felt completely fine I felt very comfortable. I liked the stress that I got from that compared to trying to find a story and maybe having like three of them fall through and I have to do a man on the street thing, which is crap. As um, like an anchor? Exactly. Uh, anchor, reporter. Yeah. I mean, you have to do both. If you're like, if you enter, you, you, you can't just anchor. You have to anchor and report. So I'm like, you know what? I don't sound great. I'll be quite honest. I don't like my voice on, on camera. <laughs> stuff. I'm better putting things together. So I, I was I was completely fine when I knew like I wanted to be a producer. So, so and, if ESPN like came to you tomorrow and was like, "Someone's down. We need you on the on the cast as an anchor," you're not you're not looking to do it. Uh maybe. Just a once in a lifetime thing. Would never rule it out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I do stuff. I, I do stuff on Twitter and like I do like a college lacrosse game day show in the, in the season. I kind of started that in Syracuse and it was like might be like it's fifth year next year or whatever but like I kind of enjoy doing that where I'm kind of like running things um you like I orchestrating stuff. I don't really know it's 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 maybe if it's just like informal stuff yes but maybe formal stuff I don't really know yeah um, but now while really, you were at Newhouse did you get formally trained for like being an anchor and everything along those lines yeah we, we got formally trained we, we how to like how to be presentable how to ask questions all that all that jazz yeah do you ever find it while learning difficult to kind of switch the head space between being the person who's kind of running point behind the scenes and being that uh anchor the one actually relaying the information not really i think you have like an understanding of what the two do and i think being those two roles and the other roles like you kind of have a better understanding and a wider understanding of how a newscast or a show kind of, kind of is done. Like I was like, even at ESPN, like I had to, we had to prompt for a little bit. So I, had to, I was turning the wheel a lot, but understanding what happens with the, the producer and the, the PAs and CAs in the media room and just understanding a lot of what goes on in the show. And you do all these roles and you have a better under, and a better and a wider understanding of how something kind of works together in a show. So, but, so you worked at KYW, though, in high school, you said? Yes. 
So was that part of like, were you getting high school credits for that or anything or just doing it for fun? So it was a, it was a high school program. It was the KYW news studies that my high school teacher, Mr. Johnson kind of pushed, pushed to me. I'm like, Oh yeah, that, that looks great. It was Saturdays in like October, November. And then we ended up trying to do like a, we had to do like a story, pitch a story to, uh, to do and kind of produce. And I actually did one on our Chinese culture club at LaSalle college high school. Um, we went in, we kind of wrote the script. We had like one of our reporters kind of like go over the script and just be like our proofreader or editor pretty much. And then when we were all done, we were ready to go get our interviews done. Um, we actually recorded uh, our actual story in the KYW uh, studio in one of like their recording booths. So once that was done, they told us, hey, your story's gonna air at this time on this day. Um, me and my parents were listening to it and they were just, I was ecstatic. They were ecstatic. And then at the end we had like a graduation ceremony in December or January. Um, the grand prize was you had an internship at KYW for the summer. I was lucky enough to, uh, to receive it after an interview. That's and so rad. I stayed there in my, it was my senior. Actually I started, I started this on senior week of my senior year and I was like, I'm not going to, as much as like, I want to do, be at senior week, I just got this job and I still want to do work during senior week. So I missed like three days. And one of the days we had a house party at our place. And apparently when I got back home, there were like cop cars outside. So I just drove right past the cop cars. <laughs> we had a turn on stage at somebody else's place. And apparently everyone that was there got fined. So it oh, turned you saved yourself a few bucks. Yeah. It saved me a, few hundred bucks in a, in a trip to a courthouse or wherever jailhouse courthouse or police station whatever any of the above but now now this is funny we're talking about LaSalle and a few months back right at the beginning of quarantine actually we did or what the fuck I don't even remember what I said I was probably drunk or something and I happy hour right yeah I was like let's do a lacrosse twitter zoom happy hour thing right and uh, I don't really remember how it went to be honest with you it, it was next until like it was me and Carly and you, I think that was. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 So like there was like a bunch of people there and everything. And it was kind of awkward. Cause like half the people that were there's like accounts were like not their actual names or faces or anything. So like, I didn't know who actually was anybody, mm-hmm. but then it, it turns to the point where it was just you, me and Carly. And you tell this hilarious story, probably the best story about a high school lacrosse player I've ever heard in my life. And I need you to tell it on the show right now. I forget what it was. Was it? No, it, was, it was the last, it was your last day or your last lacrosse game, your senior day, I think you oh, said. My senior, oh, yeah, that's okay. That's what I figured. So, set the scene. I, I never I never played lacrosse. I never played lacrosse growing up. I kind of really just fell into it my, my freshman year at LaSalle. But senior year at LaSalle, you're able to manage all four years, whatever. You were able to play in like a half against like one of like the worst Catholic League teams that we had in the league contest. So, and that was senior day for us. So, um, our, I, we kind of, the players kind of knew like, this is going to be your day to play. And I'm like, I'm out on the wall trying to like work on both hands and shoot passing and catching whatever. I'm nervous as hell. Never played before. Um, first quarter we were up like 10-1 and the coach was like, Chris, you want to suit up? I'm like, yeah, sure. And everyone, everyone <laughs> on the bench was like, hyped as hell. Um, went out there, they were like, I was like, I told him I was going to be nervous as hell, but I was nervous as hell. I was, I had a breakaway I missed. I was 
just extremely nervous. And they were the, the biggest thing was they were going to feed me the ball every time, and I was the only one that was able to score. Um, fourth quarter hit. I get I get I'm I'm uh, behind the net, and then the goalie calls off the defense, so I'm all alone. The goalie steps out of his net. I put the ball in the net. I score, and I'm like I had no clue what was going on, just celebrating my teammates, and I have the. E- guys from Connell Egan say, like, oh, yeah, hey, congrats, man. Great job, man. And I asked the goalie, like, do you guys think I was, like, special or anything? And it was like, yeah. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm just I'm just bad. I just <laughs> never played. <laughs> the best part was they had defense on me. That they knew, like, all right, this guy actually just, just sucks. So, like, all right, we'll just play against him. And we did, and then I actually scored another goal. So oh, I, yeah, I was kind of like, that just made me feel a lot better. I had two <laughs> goals and one with a big asterisk. Um, they're like thinking they're going to be on the more uh, ESPN morning show the next day is like, today was Chris's big day. <laughs> Let him score. <laughs> Chris in the day. Honestly, guys, no, I just suck. <laughs> I don't know what was going on. I just sucked. <laughs> oh, dude, that, that was – the night that you told me that I was dying, that was probably one of the funniest. Now, you, you have this affinity for sports, though. Did you play any other sports, or have you, you've just always been really interested? Uh, rec soccer. Um, I did rec basketball for a year when I was, like, six or seven, and I scored zero points in eight games. <laughs> um, maybe got, like, five rebounds. Uh, baseball, I was just horrible at. Look, I just wasn't athletic, and, like, I knew that. Yeah. Um, Soccer was probably my best sport. Like, I was better as a defender because I didn't have to score. Um, yeah. Try to clear the ball and just play as good defense. I was okay, like moderate. Um, but, like, I knew, like, I wasn't going to play soccer. I knew I wasn't going to play any sports at LaSalle. But, like, I wanted to stay, still be involved in sports. So, obviously, the best way at LaSalle was to be student manager, equipment manager, whatever you want to call it. So, I did that with lacrosse. Then I did it with football. Hockey wanted me to be their video guy, so I was their video guy. Um, ended up doing that for lacrosse, too. Uh, soccer wanted to use me for a couple games. Basketball used me as, like, a scout my senior year. Um, <laughs> I was like, you know what? Just give me whatever. I have nothing to do with my life. It's my senior year. I don't care. And then that worked up to lacrosse at Syracuse where I was the video coordinator where they needed a I – w- I wanted to be a manager. Didn't really know what as a manager, but – the guy, Coach uh, Roy Simmons III, told me they needed a video guy. I'm like, oh, I did video, like, my last two, three years at LaSalle. And he was like, for a Monday? I'm like, yeah, sure. So I got, I got a little test run. The coaches were a little – one of the coaches was a little uneasy because he was used to a guy that was there for the last five or six years. I'm like, Coach, I got this. This is – this. give me – I need to learn what, what you guys do. It'll be easy. And then it ended up being as easy as possible, and they loved me after like a month now did you get to travel with the team and everything for that travel with the team i went to practices went to every game getting three years name it so gear nice you really made out there like a d1 d1 athlete without being the athlete right you're d1 video guy that's pretty sick especially not you're not just a d1 video guy you're d1 video guy for like the best program in the nation yeah and an atc program and, and an ACC program. So you get all the benefits without actually having to, like, run and do all the nonsense. Exactly. And we went to some hella places. Right, yeah, you're traveling all over the damn place. Now, that being said, you you get to be the – what are you filming then? Is that just highlights and stuff for Coach's yeah, Review? 
coach's tape. Oh, coach's tape. Okay, so you're not like putting uh, highlights tape. up on Instagram or anything. So coach's tape, I'm gathering any like scout, like any opposing film for scouting purposes for teams. So I'm kind of in communication with with other college coaches. Mm-hmm. So even I think some of them maybe still know who I am because oh, you used to be the video guy at Syracuse, and like I also was writing at College Cross during that time when I was at Syracuse, and the guys knew then they were like, just don't write shit against us. I'm like, <laughs> makes sense. Right, yeah. Um, did, you, did they make you sign NDAs or anything? Nope. Just no. like, yeah, just... Nice little handshake. Melon shirt, don't leak it. <laughs> like, that makes sense. Um, just just use your judgment, pretty much. And, right. that, I mean, that, that didn't hurt um, anything for me trying to be on doing, like, on-campus media, like a radio station or TV station or whatever, or newspaper. Um, but quite honestly, I found my niche. I found... You know, I was doing college across writing here and there online, and that's kind of how I got in. And I eventually, I was the only one from Syracuse who went to, to their final fours when they did it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was 2015, 16, 17, 18. I was covering it, but I wasn't on the field doing video stuff. You were just in a press yeah. box getting yeah. free food. And, you know, that, gave me, that got me a lot of experience and just getting to know some of the ESPN guys as well. That really helped. Um, now, did that help well, you get your gig that you have now? Yeah, I, I kind of started to get to know Anish and Clark late in my junior year. We actually stayed in the same hotel at the ACC tournament, and they mm-hmm. actually came down before we were leaving. And I kind of introduced myself, and they kind of knew who I was a little bit. But that kind of that relationship started to build, <coughs> excuse me, via Twitter. Um, I think they followed me just because of the content that I was doing and also – we knew I was with Syracuse, so uh, I reached out to Anish my senior year that, hey, I wanted to get into ESPN. How do I do that? He got the ball rolling with some connections. Our AD, John Wildhack, used to work at ESPN, so still a really good guy. Sat with him for a couple hours right before my senior year, and we kind of talked about ESPN, what to expect, all, all the whole shebang and his career there, and, you know, he kind of helped me a lot with getting a job at ESPN, so I, I – a, few, a lot of huge thanks to those, that entire gang over at Syracuse and at uh, and Kark and Quinn and even Quinn and Kark and Anish. Yeah, they're all great dudes. I mean, I've had the opportunity now to work and meet them all. So uh, that that was that was one of the more you know I I don't get starstruck anymore. This is one of my things, and I, I take pride in this. And like I like meet people and I just act like I've known them forever. So I got to do that a little bit at the uh, at the bubble a few months ago with Kark. And um, I think it took him by, by, uh, by surprise that someone who he's never met was just like, hey, what's going on, man? <laughs> um, he, he's an interesting cat, though. I loved working with him. Hey, Quint. Or Quint, yeah. Not Clark. Yeah, Quint. Quint, um, he, uh, he got my phone number from Dan Abert a couple years ago. I'm like, all right, that's great, because he wanted to send over a top play. And, like, that's how, like, just building that trust. And I remember um, – the quarterfinals at, at uh, East Hartford in 2019, you know, we kind of met, like, I was on my off day. I wanted to kind of see what – just watch the games there in the press box. And I remember Quint just, like, giving me a big hug because, like, he he was happy that I was I was pushing along that Maryland-Virginia kind of controversial ending for Virginia. Mm-hmm. And that got on, like, sports under the A's. And I got to, like, every sports center possible. And he just gave me a huge hug. He was like, thank you for just, like, doing that like as much as like it might not have been like the best moment for 
lacrosse. It was an important one to tell. And I kind of have that knowledge of what do we need to tell? What's the most important thing from this? And honestly, I was even doing the highlights for the final four last year for lacrosse. Like they, that wouldn't, that probably would not have happened if I wasn't enthusiastic about lacrosse. Right. So I think now, and even just pushing MLL plays, like Quint will send me stuff for MLL, even college football that he's on or college hockey, whatever he's on. Yeah. He knows that I'll easily send that along. And we obviously text one once in a while and he's a great guy. Um, Did it feel weird to say you, he hugged you because of like all of the restrictions going on in the world now? Oh no, I don't care. (laughs) It happened pre pre COVID. And honestly, like it's, I find I find myself watching things that were filmed like pre-COVID and like people hugging and handshaking. I'm just like, what, what the hell is going on? Like, why are they doing? I don't that? have that. I don't have that feeling. Really, dude, I'm jealous. I'm jealous because now I'm, my mind's in this weird, just robust spectrum where everything is. Why aren't people wearing masks and why are people hugging? I think if like if there's no if, like there's nobody wearing a mask, then like I would be like, all right, nothing's off. Nothing's off limits. Then yeah. like if you like someone wearing a mask and was like, all right, you kinda have I for me kinda have that that uh what's going on, that kind of like understanding what's going on kind of thing. But like if I'm watching like the Borat stuff, like I kinda understand like it was in right before the beginning of the pandemic and then they got mm-hmm. to the pandemic and whatever. Have you have you seen Borat all the way through I now? Seen it. I'm not a big fan of it. You were not. I was I mean, I was a, I, I liked it, but mm-hmm. I like the original one better. Yeah. Like I think more of the first Borat was a lot more slapstick, ha ha ha, just to be funny kind of thing. Right. Like obviously this this is one had a motive, has a purpose, and I think the actress really stole stole the show over uh, Borat. She did. I think that also, she had I'm to though. A little though. bit disappointed at, like Borat's accent. Like I get like Sasha Baron Cohen is getting older and the accent's gonna change, but like I could tell like, oh, this ain't the same sounding Borat as it was four, 13, 12, 14 years ago. Right. I can totally get with that. My, my recent argument and thing that I've been thinking about the most is that she almost had to take the spotlight in the movie, right? Because if it was just Sasha Baron Cohen the whole time, everyone would know it was him. I mean, the fact that they were able to get people who still didn't know who he was involved in the movie is astonishing to me. Yeah. Until yesterday when I see that the, like, the one woman who's a babysitter, uh, I forget her name, she like, seemed really, really sweet in the movie and then like, tried to sue him because he, oh, yeah. uh, they didn't tell her what she was in. Yeah, but like that's that's a, that's another another thing is like it it was Borat, but like he kind of knew like well I have to get a costume and he got like three or four different costumes so it was it was Borat it was really Sasha Baron Cohen playing four or five different people but maybe the four or five different people were really Borat so it was kind of like it's meta the Ali G show where he has like the Ali G and Bruno and. And Borat and just playing these different characters. It wasn't just Borat. And I think people knew who Borat was. And I think earlier, like the first time, people didn't really know who Borat was. And it was just funny, like this guy in like a gray suit and just in underwear and just calling a guy vanilla face. Oh, I know. That was the, that's the best part of that whole movie. Vanilla face. What's up, vanilla face? And you know, <laughs> he, what did he say? I need somewhere to park my ass or something i can't remember what yeah, the hell was somewhere in my ass and my boy has a mat so uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah now i i very much agree i think that this one just i think it came out at a proper time though because we all needed a laugh i think i would have i think i might appreciate it more in a couple of years when like this is like it's not over like, when we're not in the heat of exactly, the uh, like, current 2020 like, election 
I'm watching this right as like we're kind of in we're living in this right like maybe give it like a few more years or whatever and like all right this happened here this is funny now whatever we can laugh about it another thing is like there were some scenes in the trailer like when like his daughter was like on top of the the car and mm-hmm. then the golf scene and like yeah. in the movie spoiler alert i know i was kind of disappointed in that I don't know why we showed that in. I don't know we, why it was shown in a trailer when it's not in the movie. Or even remotely. Like, I, I'm genuinely curious as to what was happening at that driving range. Yeah. Because that would have been hilarious. Now, oh, yeah. while we're talking about golf, this just sparked my memory. You, I don't know if, am I allowed to say this on the show that you yeah. are going to be able to work the Masters? Yeah, I'm working the Masters. I, I did the PGA Championship in August. Um, it's pretty much the same group um that is going to be working the masters i'm in bristol mm-hmm. um it's it was it, i'm in bristol where it's mainly like a lot of the pe- a lot of the folks in production of doing the studio stuff will be in bristol there will be some people in augusta you so you don't get to make that tra- trip what was that you don't get to make that trip down to augusta uh, not just because of COVID restrictions i think usually oh. if this was a normal year we would i think most of us would all be going down to augusta so, like, hopefully in 2021, you get to redo the gig and be down right. there. Yeah. That would be something else, man. It's so beautiful. Yeah, if I'm asked to do it, that'd be great. Um, but, like, look, I'm working the Masters. And my thing is, like, I know I told my parents, like, oh, I'm working the Masters. Like, oh, are you going to Augusta? I'm like, no. I'm like, well, here's the thing. Like, I'm working on an event that 95% of my colleagues will never work on. Right. 1,000%. I mean, you have to think about it. Like, it's only one small segment, but it's, like, a very important special segment, which is yeah. – absurd now are, so you get to work when do you when do you start covering and so it's probably tuesday to sunday it'll be actually it'll be the sunday before the master so it'll be the eighth eighth mm-hmm. eighth till the end of the tournament wow dude i'm so probably jealous seven pga was seven straight days master mm-hmm. will probably be seven straight days um pga was about like for the most part like especially when the play was going on like 12 hours 12 14 hour days yeah um this is different because I think back with the PJ, we kind of had to be in at eight and we were out by like 10 or 11 because of the start time out West. Right. Uh, we got to, we got to look at our early schedules, kind of like 6 AM, maybe six forty-five, maybe six, seven o'clock start time AM for production. And then we're out at like six thirty-seven. Right. As soon as the sun goes down. Great, but um, you know, the, the early wake up will be tough. For sure. Um, now, are you are you a golfer guy yourself? A little bit, yeah. I think the the whole COVID stuff kind of you know made me become more of a golf guy. A little Same, bit. I completely agree. It's like I, I always played golf. I, I my high school was I was very blessed. I went to a high school that had a golf course, so I could literally play every single day. Where'd I you got, go? I went to Petty. It's in uh, Central Jersey. It's a boarding oh, Petty. school. Okay, the Petty school. Yeah, yeah, the Petty. I'm sure we played LaSalle in some sport that you would have like covered at some point or something along those lines. Probably basketball. But, um, yeah, so I, I go to Petty. I play, play, I played every, I played sports all year long, so I didn't have a chance to like play golf as an actual sport, but I would get out on the course. This, this is how much of a like golf nut I became right away was that I would, I had this big break in between classes. It's like a college schedule at my high school and I would be off at like 10 AM and I wouldn't have another class till two. I would go like walk nine in between those classes just to get that like fulfillment, right? It was like a drug at the time. So then I get to college playing sports. I don't have time to golf very often, but graduate this last spring or whatever. 
And as soon as COVID hit, man, I started playing every day again. And now yeah. I can't stop. I am so, so deep into the golf realm. Like my, my handicaps dropped from like an eight to a two in the last six months. It's nuts. So I, I, I got the bug. I got the bug, man. I try to go to a, a driving range like at least once or twice before work each week. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it happens. A lot of the times it doesn't. Um, but yeah, like, I, I mean, I got like a whole set of golf clubs. I, I kind of created my dad's old ones that get, like came me down to whatever. And like, I just yeah. went out and got like a $2,500 set. Like, Jeez, what brand? Brand. uh, Taylor mate. Nice man. Taylor drivers and woods. And like, I think I got like big Bertha irons. Mm-hmm. Like, I just needed a whole new set. I just wanted to get my own clubs or whatever. So I, I got golf, golf lessons. Still have a few. Um, that's helped me a lot. I'm st- I still suck, but like I'm better than I was earlier. Right. I mean, it, honestly, this is my favorite thing about golf. I, I, I'm not. I'm only competing with myself. I genuinely, I could play with the worst player in the world. Actually, I, I play with this guy Pete every Saturday, okay. and he's awful. He's like 65 years old. Probably yeah. shoots 105 every time we go out. But it's a it's a freaking blast. He's a great time, and that's all that matters in golf. And I think that's why I love it. And it's fun because like we we'll use the handicap system sometimes, play for a little bit of money, and uh, you know have some fun with it. But dude, we'll have to get on the course then. Um, do some kind of segment or something. That'd be a lot of fun. Actually, yeah, I'll have to come up to Connecticut. Do you guys have nice nice tracks up there? Yeah, we have we have we have a lot of courses. Um, I've been to Tungsis and. Uh, uh, Southington Country Club. I nice. just went to Southington last week, and it I mean, was 80, and now it's snowing in Connecticut today. It's nuts, man. This weather's been crazy. Now, you actually grew up in a pretty nice area for some golf, though. I mean, yeah. you had, like, Marion in your backyard. and Yeah, we uh, Marion was about, like, half hour maybe away from me, but, I mean, I mean, obviously, like, there's a, a number of good courses near me in uh, Montgomery County. Right. So, so going into Masters Week, what's the thing that you're looking forward to the most? And who do you have winning? Um, I just want to see how the course plays. It's mm-hmm. obviously we've never seen it's, I think a lot of people are saying this. We've never, we've never seen Augusta being played in November. It's always usually the spring and they always close it up in the summer. And then maybe they open it back up in the fall again. But this will be like the first time we have a fall Augusta. Will it look different? Will it play different? Um, I am. I would love to see Team Xander Shoffley win. Uh, mm. I don't think Tiger wins. I don't think he makes the cut. Same. Um, but in the end, we're probably going to get some kind of like Hal Tung Lee and Mike Lorenzo Vera final pairing. I would love to see Bryson DeChambeau just kind of go off. I don't know why. It's gonna, I recently it's had this affinity him. for him. It's going to favor him. Like he's the only course where like you get like longer drives and lower scoring is Augusta. As right. Phil Mickelson once said in his hitting bombs video a couple of years ago when he was with Matt Kuchar. Um, that's scientifically proven, and it's going to really help Bryson. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's in contention final day. I just want to see him carry another ball 403. Can you believe that? That is I, freaking nuts, man. I mean, the dudes, I, I, I want to say, I want to think the guy is on some kind of roids. Like, he, he, he kind of found the hidden stash of Falco drugs and just took them all. Seriously, he's a bodybuilder in golf apparel, which, I mean, like, he, he's nuts. But it's, it's going to be a fun week. I'm really stoked for it. Now, moving, moving forward here, you, you are a Philly kid. You're a Philly fan through and through. Do you ever find that uh, the stigma of being a Philly fan uh, affects your life? As in, 
you get incredibly highs and lows. Well, it is my life. Right. <laughs> it is. It is my life. Um, uh, I mean, yeah, it is my life. Like, again, like, Phillies, eh, they'll suck. I get it. Sixers, I'm going to You guys just made a big hire. Yeah, I mean, that's a high. That's a high right there. It's a high. It could turn into a low, though. It'll be a low when the, when the Eagles lose to Ben DiNucci. Gucci DiNucci. And, the <laughs> um, and the Flyers, I mean, like, that's my number one team. Like, I, as much as, like, people know me as a lacrosse guy, hockey's my number one over lacrosse just because I've, I've kind of grown with it more than lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a Flyers season ticket holder from the from the the post lock first post lockout season till my senior year of college when they when my parents dropped them because I was obviously out of the house and it was tough for them to sell tickets. Um, right. But they're my number one. Uh, my only dream is just just before I die to see them win a cup. That's it. Yeah, I mean that's a pretty good dream. I think I don't know. Uh, the Flyers are the Flyers are a trip, man. I'm I'm the same way. I think that people log on to Twitter and they only think of me covering lacrosse stuff and everything, but hockey's what I did my whole life, man. I was a I played with a bunch of those Flyers guys that you were watching your first year out like Keith Primo, Eric Gagne, um Sammy Kaplan. Eric Gagne? Yeah. I mean Simone. Eric Simone Gagne. Gagne. <laughs> Eric I make that mistake all the time. He's a baseball player, Eric Gagne. Yeah. No, Simone Gagne, uh Casper Kapanen was on my team. Like all those kids, they're uh, they all they all had kids that were my age, so they all played on my team. So I got to like interact with Eric Desjardins. They were all cool guys, and the Flyers were the Flyers were my favorite team for that reason. I mean, I got to know them personally. They weren't they weren't just these big mega superstars that you see on TV. They were actually normal people, and I think that's when I started this this affinity for not wanting to get starstruck around people. I, I have so, I have such a resentment for it. I don't know why. Just like I don't want to get like Paul Rabel. Everyone like. Paul's just a normal guy. Everyone treats him like he's some kind of like star in this world. It's hilarious. Yeah, he's a he's a good. I know I know Paul. He's a good guy. I know his, his brother Mike. They're all good guys. But I get like people. There are people that don't like him for a few reasons. But I well, it depends see. on it depends on where you meet him. Do you meet him in the boardroom or do you meet him on the field or do you meet him as a fan? I it's, met him. I met him first time. I met Paul was at Gillette in 2017. There was some kind of Pizza Hut thing that Pizza Hut invited me to like. They knew me. I was like a college across reporter, and they were like, "Oh yeah, you want to do something with Paul Rand?" I'm like, "Sure thing." And then it ended <laughs> up being like, go to Omaha and be like doing like this Pizza Hut All American Challenge, where you're with Paul Rabel and Jay Williams and Joe Carter and all these athletes. Taylor Twelman was there. We ended up going to the College World Series. That was fun. Omaha's not that bad. Um, no, that's a fun. Bad. That's a fun experience. The College World Series. Yeah, I went to. Uh, it was Florida. I think it was in Florida LSU, and what's the game clincher that I think. Florida one, I forget. Florida one, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and I kind of like, he knew who I was. I knew who he was. Um, when the PL started, you know, we talked a little bit. Um, and then first game I was on the field, he was happy to see me. Um, yeah, he knows who I am. That's did, you, I am. did you go to a lot of PL events? I went, to, I went to the first two weeks because they were in Boston and New York just to see how it was, and then that was really it. Like, I Oh, gotcha. It's, it, for me, it was like, the events are not for me. It's for geared for a different age group. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, it's, I mean, they are you media? Oh, oh media. yeah. I registered yeah. for me for college cross. Um, you know, they had a beer, they had a beer garden for New York. Oh yeah. I was there. Fine. Um, but after that, it's like, I'm going to get a better, if I'm still going to be interested in it, I'm going to get a better 
experience watching it from home. Yeah, it's easier. I, I found that I was still doing the podcast and everything at the time. And I found that I wrote like better articles and had better analysis on the actual game itself when I watched it on TV. Something about it. When I was at the games, I got too caught up in talking to people and not actually focusing on what was happening. But that New York was that, that was a fun event. Um, it was. I, yeah, I wish we had known each other at the time. Yeah, I think um, I think the league has some growth. And I, I, obviously we can go on this thing a long way, but uh, the whole pro lax thing, like I know that people like the PL and people like the MLL and people don't like one or the other or whatever. And you got the box league and like all this. And it's like, right. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to like cause some controversy for people, but like, I, I do think there has to be kind of one outdoor league. Like as much as like, I think it's different where you have back when like the seventies, when you had an established league that was like, you're still there and you had an upstart league that wanted to kind of, stir the pot and they kind of did a little bit and then they merged and they took some of the ideas from the old league with, with then the new, the, the upstart league into the old league. Um, I think this is a little bit different. I think it's just more like one league hasn't been able to like really like put a lot of effort in. That's why another league was created. Now the other league is starting to put some effort in. Is it too late? I don't know. That's kind of, kind of how I see things. I mean, yeah. There are a lot of players. I think if in the end, if there's like a way to merge the leagues, but you keep, I don't know, you have seven, you have seven teams in one league, you have six in the other. If you get to a sweet spot of 10 or 11 teams where you still have the players everywhere from, you have an equal opportunity from the other, other league coming into one league, I think it's perfect. Yeah. I mean, here's, here's my take. And this is, this is, it's not controversial at all because I personally just I love seeing lacrosse grow I love seeing lacrosse being played I think that all of these guys I think that people forget that this is an actual job for them whether you hate the MLL or you hate the PLL these guys still need to get paid for their profession so if you're getting paid to play lacrosse that's great I think that everybody should have that opportunity that has the ability to have that opportunity and so I'm not gonna throw shade one way or the other I will personally however like one side or the other more based on the way that I am treated. I think that if you are able to take me in and treat me as a human being who is genuinely curious and reporting or doing something along the lines in those fields, that's what I'm looking for. I think that both leagues are great. I think that both leagues do a great job at what they're marketing. I just think that personally, I I, well, I have to weigh like a really thin line right here because we, we're like a sponsor, a signature lacrosse for one league and not the other, which apparently people hate me over because like I'm seen as like the guy that like is the face of signature lacrosse or whatever. But like they, they, they rarely are able to separate my actual opinion with like the signature opinion and stuff along those lines. It's really confusing. But I think that it's great that we have two leagues. I think that the more players that we have employed, uh, the better. And I think that that's always going to be fantastic. But I do think that the NLL business-wise, strictly business-wise, is the most structured league to have success. Um, it's going to be interesting with this upcoming year with the NLL. Their, their targeted date of April. Right. What full season, you're going to be completely – you're going to be with PLL and MLL, technically, and you're going to end in September, and they will end in September or October. Right. So that's going to be interesting where, all right, the Wings have Trevor Baptiste and the Wings have Matt Randall. Those are two and Blaze Reardon. So you yeah. have three, and I don't have three hands, but <laughs> you have three really big parts of PLL teams playing the NLL. Mm -hmm. And if the season of their planned season is we're going to go August, or excuse me, April to September, 
What's that going to do for the for those three in the PLL? Will they have to? Are they going to have to choose between one or the other? Because I don't think they're, they're going to be able to play both because one's going to be on the weekend. Potentially, the other one's going to be on the weekend because it's going to be tough to just have weekday games for a lot yeah, of. That's lacrosse. Week weekends are lacrosse. Yeah. That's, there's no. They've never done weekday things really. And I don't think if you're the PL, it's like, oh, we're going to try to go to like these these places where they have box lacrosse just to help accommodate like a player or two each week. Like, I don't know if that's going to work. Right. It's, well, it's not. If, like, if Trevor Atis injures himself in a box game and he can't go out for the field, whatever, then it's. It's, it's going to be really interesting. I was thinking the same thing. I think, well, actually, this is, this is actually a really interesting conversation. because My thing is, I was going to, if I can interrupt, my thing yeah. is, I had a little thought, like, is this a small beginning that the NLL might not play? The NLL? The NLL, that they might not play. Like, why do you – I understand why they're going to April. They're starting in April because they have to play with fans. Because I, it sounds – from what I was told, they rely more on gate revenue than other leagues. Agreed. Um, and also the, the, the whole visa issue of Canadian players coming down to America, that, and teams even – that's why, like, the Blue Jays had to play in Buffalo. Buffalo. And maybe the Raptors have to play in Louisville this mm-hmm. year. It's, it's different. So, I, I mean, it's – but if it's like we're going to have to play for – if we're going to play try to play a full season, I don't think it's possible. Maybe it's a truncated season like how MLL did. That's a possibility till June. Um, but I just don't know how many games you're going to be able to play – especially then also with hockey, if they're going to be in arenas and just trying to figure out the scheduling. Cause most, again, majority of these arenas are, or the NLL teams are tertiary or secondary tenants. Yeah. You know, I think new England is the black wolves are one where like the primary tenant. Mm-hmm. I think Halifax is, I think the primary tenant may be in there. Yeah, they but split it these, with the junior team. Yeah. But most, yeah, but most of these are like, Again, like the wings are the tertiary ter- tenant with the Sixers and the Flyers. And if they can't get any time, that's going to be tough for them. Or maybe they try to do double headers. And, you know, we'll see. So I think it's, it's a, there's a lot more questions to be answered from this. Certainly. It's going, to be, it's going to be baffling. But I did have a really interesting conversation a couple months ago. And it was with this guy, Chris Fox, who is the uh, CEO of the CLL, CLL, Canadian Lacrosse League. And they're going to be off the ground running here pretty soon. It's it's probably I think it's a senior A type league type deal. And he was explaining to me that it sounded brilliant the way he explained it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do it no credit right here because I'm gonna probably botch some things up. But let's say there isn't a COVID right, and we move box across the NLL predominantly to the summer where they won't be competing with the Flyers and the Sixers because they're predominantly playing during the winter. And you get that opportunity to go to the Wells Fargo, and you get to watch some kind of sport in there that you don't usually get to do during the summer because it's usually concerts and the circus and other random things that are happening there. So the NLL then moves their games to the summer, bringing in more fanship than ever before, because there's no other sports going on other than baseball, which, I mean, there's the baseball lacrosse rivalry, like people with pick and choose, I guess. I just don't like it. If, if you're, if you're doing the baseball lacrosse rivalry, then you're, you're a child. Yeah. I and agree I, with that as well. Say like, Oh, why, why is baseball like, Oh, they're the, Baseball, they can they can hit. They're not tough. Like, dude, sh- I, I don't give a shit. Like, it's they they take different skills. One's tough. The other's also tough in their different ways. Like, I don't you just I don't like. I'm not a big. I'm not as big of a baseball guy as I was a few years ago. But I still respect the sport and I still watch it. Like, 
Right. No, I totally agree. I'm, I'm one of the few human beings in the world who could throw a baseball 90 miles per hour, but also shoot a lacrosse ball at a high rate of speed and play it. So like, I've always done both. I have always loved baseball. Um, I literally played college baseball. There it is. Uh, there's my uh, big secret. It's out the bag. Um, this is also like my way out of the lacrosse community, I guess, because I'm about to get exonerated. But, or I guess that's not the word. But fact of the matter is, so he says move box across to the summer, let people come in and watch it, and then have fun with it. Um, do it, do it, then, and then move, move lacrosse to the fall, outdoor lacrosse, field lacrosse. So let college lacrosse have its spotlight in the spring. Let box lacrosse feature during the summer and then towards the end of August, start integrating field lacrosse into the professional game. And I, I, I have right. a couple, couple things on that. Number one, if you're the PL or the MLL, you're going to be up against football, college, and the NFL. No, that's a very and valid point. <laughs> number two, even if you're that, you have guys that are, play, that are coaching in, in, in college that will have to be there for fall ball. So it might be tough for them, especially now with the Saturday stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the scrimmages on Saturday, whatever practices. They're going to have to not only coach, but also then maybe recruit and then also play potentially. Uh, and then number three, like I was thinking, like why the summer? It works for, for – I think it might work for box that it works for the summer. I think it's just more of, all right, if we're playing in the fall for field, we're going to be screwed out of our luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, you're right. That is a really good point I didn't think about. I think the box stuff works in the winter because you're in a roof, you're in air conditioned stadiums and mm-hmm. you know, you're starting in November, you're ending in June and it works better that you have a, you have a roof covered covering your field. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a very valid point. I hadn't thought about, and I'm sure that Chris made an argument for that, that I'm just letting slip my mind right now, but and he was also kind of in favor of just like box leagues in general. So like, he I wants think to another thing is, that I've had the thought of, like, what if, what if one of the outdoor leagues makes it make a makes a smart move and tries to kind of merge or build a partnership with the NLL, where you have, hey, October to May or April, April May, this is box season. You'll have a month or so, May or June till September. That's your field season. It's kind of like you have all the players that are in both leagues. They're in a pool. They'll be able to play for different teams. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, you know, it's a Philadelphia box and a Philadelphia field team. They're the same team. It's kind of like European sports or same organization, but you're playing different sports, whatever. It's kind of like a team competition, maybe like I'm trying to think of the, or the, something like that, but. I don't know if you understand where I'm going with that. But yeah, I, I mean, you're contractually then able to disperse these players in a more legitimized raise. Right. You're able to do both without having to worry about, oh, I'm traveling on a Saturday to play in one league and then tr- have to get on a plane and go to the other side of the country on a Sunday to play in the other league. And I think if you're able to play, if you want to play box in the summer, right, and you just want to do NLL in the, in the winter and then box in the summer up in Canada, you should be able to do that. But if you want to play field, you can't go to another league. You're contractually able. You're you're contractually obliged to have to play in that league. Yeah, yeah. That would be that would be an, an ultimate plan. I don't know if that would ever work, but the issue with that is that there's too many egos involved and too many too much mm-hmm. politics in it that somebody's going to get upset and somebody's going to cause a stir. Yeah, that, that's the only thing I can think of. But 
fact of the matter is I think that the more people that are playing lacrosse, the better. The more people are getting paid and making money currently, the better. Because, well, it's their full-time job. And I want to get to the point where lacrosse players don't have to work at Wawa and pump gas so that they can afford to live because they can't live off of their salary in the league. Yeah. I think hopefully we're getting there. Um, I think so. I don't know what what this does with the pandemic. Um, Pandemic's messing everything up, man. I don't know about the. I was talking to somebody that's a, a dean at a school just today, and they were mentioning like uh, there was. I saw a report about St. Joe's might be looking to be bought by. You know, they're looking for a buyer for themselves, and he was like, expect maybe a lot of these smaller Catholic schools from PA to the Great Lakes, whatever. Mm-hmm. Leaving that same boat in, in the spring or next year, so yeah. you get to think. You get to thinking like, how many schools are going to be bought? How many schools are going to be closing? How many athletic departments? How many teams are going to be down? I'm surprised now that, you know, at this point we've only had four at my count four lacrosse teams cut: Furman men, Fresno State women next year, mm-hmm. and then UMass, Dartmouth, and Alfred State Division three men all cut. Most of them have been individual sports. Stanford, Brown, big cuts, LaSalle University, big cuts. Lacrosse was not affected in either in any of those three or some or most of them, which I think says a lot about the sport. But then when you get to maybe we need to cut more, make more cuts, what sport goes? And why does this sport go? I think Furman was more of wasn't really COVID related. It was more of we didn't have we were not we weren't printing any much, you know, dedication to that you know they only had six dollar scholarships and they didn't really didn't really care that much to me from what i was talking who i was talking to about that so maybe that's a little outlier but at that time that kind of comes during you know the pandemic happens but it's the the next two years i think will be interesting to see what happens yeah it'll be really nuts i think we're going to see a lot of breaking news on that type of stuff and and not just lacrosse i mean it's every sport across the board there's going to be plenty of big sports getting cut that just you never i mean for example like something i have this weird feeling that we're not gonna have another march madness and that could just send the world through a like complete shamble i don't know what it is for the season yeah no just march madness i think that people are gonna play but then something's gonna happen and COVID's gonna get bad again and march madness will get canceled again i think we'll have a vaccine by january I hope so, man, dude. My this... mom is in. Uh, my mom works for Acubia, and if you uh-huh. know the health stuff, they're they're very involved now with Moderna and Pfizer, and she. I think she's with. They're working on something with Moderna, and that's one of like the two vaccines with Pfizer that are much ahead in the at least the U.S. vaccine race. And I think she, I've I've been talking with her, and it seems like they're kind of on a very good path to have something by this late December, early January, if the trials go well. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a vaccine. It's just one, when will it be given out? How it will be given out? The big thing is, I think the Moderna, one of them has like, you only need one, or the Johnson & Johnson one needs one vaccine. Some of these need two vaccines. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to get one vaccine, that's the one you're getting. Um, so I think it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. I think at least for, I think you will be able to play March Madness. Fans, I don't know. I think lacrosse might be fine for a little bit. You'll probably push the seasons back to March. Yeah. Um, and this is where I'm a little depressed now because this is the time of year where you start to see schedules come out. Like, all right, I'm going to circle this date. I'm going to circle this date. This is going to be a really interesting matchup for this team, conference matchups, and you don't have anything. and You probably won't have anything until December. 
maybe right. January. Like, I don't think – I was hoping to see maybe a schedule pop up maybe late in November. I doubt it now. I think there's a lot of – it's still fluid. There's still a lot of changes. And how many games we're going to be playing in a season? Is it going to be just conference games? My ideal situation is each team plays 10 games. Mm-hmm. If, you're, if, you, if you're in a conference, you play 10 games, a maximum for anybody is 12. An independent team – have to play eight games at minimum eight games mm-hmm. so we will give you two less games because it'll be tough to find a, a team and obviously with conference and maybe on non-conference teams or whatever if you're a conference t- if you, you're in a conference you have to play your opponents in conference so the caa who said you don't have to play any conference teams you're all in the caa tournament that gets changed too you have to play your conference opponents at least once um, other than that, if you're like the ACC, you're Syracuse, you play your four conference teams, you have six games open for a non-conference. And that's where maybe you try to schedule a Siena or maybe, excuse me, or Cornell. You go with Albany, you go with Hobart, um, Army, and then maybe do, do Hopkins. And if it's Hopkins, are you going to them, even though you just did last year, or are they coming to you, which right. might hurt Hopkins' uh, budget? Might be the might be the bigger school going down to them, and that might not be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you're the Patriot League, you only have probably two non-conference schemes. But right. you know, I think, and then at the end, you'll have either depending on the conference, you can either give the AQ to the regular season champion, or you have one versus two playing a little conference championship game. Go from there. You have the normal tournament. That's my plan. Will it work? Yeah. I don't think so. Um, but I think that's the most ideal situation right now where you start in March, you try to play, you know, March through April, have that one championship, one, that one game in the last weekend, the first weekend in May, Mother's Day is, or probably the, the day before Mother's Day or whatever it is, or the week before Mother's Day championship or selection Sunday. And then it's the normal tournament from there. Yeah. You have, to play, right. you have to play a weekend game, weekday game once or twice. And I don't think that should hurt anybody. No, Wednesday game doesn't kill anybody. No. Two of them isn't terrible. But, I mean, I think, I think that's the best idea. I personally – there's probably so many ideas that they have. I, I, yeah. Who knows, man? I mean, at this point, anything could happen, right? I mean, it's been freaking nuts. Um, I've had a ton of fun, though, man. Um, thanks for coming on. We're hitting that hour mark. I was once told, like, I used to run these things for, like, almost two hours. I love talking to people. Joe Rogan stuff, I like talking, too. Yeah, I love it. So, but then like everyone was like, dude, could you like shorten up these episodes? And I was just like, I really don't want to, but I guess I mean, if that's what you like the listeners want. So, um, I'll the definitely. One thing, the, the one thing I know, like we talked golf, but we talked lacrosse, hockey, whatever. The one thing I don't know people know about me is like I became a big boxing guy too last year. Oh, okay. Year. Let's, talk, let's take some time to talk about this. Um, so, the boxing thing was weird. I was actually in Utah doing our ESPNU thing on the Utah lacrosse team. I got a call the day of the Utah, first Utah's first game. I was about to film them kind of getting like their pregame meal or whatever. I got a call from my manager saying like, hey, when you're back in Bristol uh, on Monday, you're going to be working on this boxing show with Max Kellerman. I'm like, all right. I, I don't really know about boxing. It was going to be on the, the air on Friday. So didn't know a lot about boxing. And then I kind of like the, for the next two months when I was on this project, I kind of was just YouTube rabbit holes into boxing and just knockouts and who was the best fighters and learning about these fighters and learning about Teofimo Lopez, who um, that was really my first interview I ever cut for, for ESPN anywhere. And then it ended up, you know, 
now full circle, he's the unified lightweight champion. Mm-hmm. Um, I like boxing. I think a lot of people don't just because it's gory and it's fighting. It's for me, someone said it's like the theater of the unexpected. One punch changes anything. You know, you could be literally battered and bruised and all of a sudden you get hit with a left hook and you're down and the other guy who's gotten beaten and bruised is the winner. Um, and the stories, the stories are phenomenal. I, I, I get like lacrosse, like we've got a lot of guys that born into middle class or upper class families. They have a really good life in high school. They go to Chaminade, they go to Haverford School, they go to Boys Latin, they go to these really good colleges, and then now they're a pro. That doesn't seem interesting compared to if you've lived on the streets of Baltimore, you've, your mom is single, your dad died when you were young. You use boxing to kind of help yourself, you know, get away from the gangs or whatever. You might have been maybe arrested once or twice. Now you're a champion up in boxing, whatever. You know, I think those stories are there's more human interest stories, and they can maybe not relate more to people, but I think you can touch your heart and you can understand where they're coming from. Dude, I one one thousand thousand percent agree. I think that those are my favorite stories. Actually, I think that they're the ones of the the, of the underdog, essentially, someone who hasn't been dealt anything in life, um, worked their ass off, and um, got there. So, with, now forgive me if I'm completely ignorant here. I watched the fighter once. I thought that was a pretty good underdog story. Oh, um, Mickey Ward. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very that was a very I love that movie with him mm-hmm. and Bobby. Um, I think it was just the first fight they covered. Um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a really good story, and it's very exact. I remember watching that, too. Um, but I think the, the p- biggest part with boxing is you're, are you, you're not a boxing guy, are you? No, only for gambling purposes. Okay, so I'll name a few boxers and just let me know if you know them or not. Tyson mm-hmm. Fury. Oh, yeah. Deontay Wilder. No. Anthony Joshua. No. How do you know Tyson Fury, not the other two? Uh, was there a movie about him? Well, he fought on ESP. He fought Wilder in ESPN, and that might have been what it pushing. Okay, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not like, like you know, giving you shit. No, no. So let me be. Let me be totally. I got, I got, I got a, few, a few more for you. Okay. You know, Vasily Lomachenko. No, I. Oh wait, Lomachenko, I've heard of, but that's, that's the last name. Sweet. Teofimo Lopez. No. Well, you just mentioned him. <laughs> Earl Spence. Oh, wait, we did that one? Earl Spence. Manny no. Pacquiao. Oh, yeah. So, okay, so, well. May- Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, like, Paul that Alfred. fight, Pacquiao-Mayweather, that's mm-hmm. the one that, like, that was the first ever boxing match I watched and was actually, like, pissed off about. Yeah, because Floyd Mayweather, Mayweather did what he, what he always does. He's defensive. He's not. He literally he's, just ran around the freaking ring. I, I thought Pacquiao won the fight. Um, Mayweather usually – I thought Mayweather won the fight. No, no, I disagree. It's just defense. Like, he's, he's not going to throw – he's, he's smart about what he does. He's pretty boy Floyd. He's got a skill. He's very – he's one of the most defensive fighters of all time. Um, I, he, he got uh, – do you know Canelo Alvarez? Canelo – that sounds about – like, sounds familiar. I don't think I could put a face to a name. He fought Canelo when, he, when Canelo was 21. Um, he beat him. If this cha- – like, he, if he fights him now – uh, that changes differently because Canelo is a much different fighter. He got he got the good fighters when they were young, and not when they were in their primes. He's just smart. Floyd's just really smart with what he with what he did in the ring. But the thing is, like, there's a lot of really good fighters, and you mentioned like you knew about 
obviously besides Pacquiao and Mayweather, because they're guys like whoever Mayweather fights will probably carry. Uh, people will figure out who they are opponent-wise. But Lomachenko, Lopez, Fury, they all fought on ESPN, or at least ESPN was really much big in pushing them. But, like, the guys, like I mentioned, like Errol Spence, the Charlo brothers, uh, trying to think of others, Julio Cesar Martinez, like other people, like you won't even know who they are. It's because boxing's also, like, it's big on pay-per-view, and it's big mm-hmm. on, like, Showtime, and you lose a lot of the audience. You do. Because it's behind a paywall. Like, if you put more big fights like Lomachenko Lopez on, on ESPN, like those big name, big name fights, like Bud Crawford, Kel Brook is fighting – November 14th in, on ESPN. That's one of the best powerful bound fighters in Bud Crawford. But a fight like Gian, uh, Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz, um, that's fighting on Halloween night on pay-per-view in the Alamo Dome. And, you know, people might have might know about it because Gervonta Davis's manager is Floyd Mayweather. But will they watch it? No, because it's 79 bucks on, on pay-per-view, and they don't know who any of those fighters are. Right. That's a tough thing. I think if you need – if you're able to get some of these bigger fights – onto cable where more people can see it and more people are exposed that is where you'll get the build the audience for the sport and again like ufc does it a lot on pay-per-view because they're able to build those stars like habib and conor mcgregor Mm -hmm. and john jones and steve bay miocic and izzy adesanya that's easy to do but boxing just hasn't done that yet yeah, no, I totally get where you're coming from here, actually, because, well, UFC is something I kind of got into, mostly also for gambling purposes, just because I'm, mm-hmm. I'm kind of a degenerate. It's, it's a bad habit. But that being said, I think that boxing is one, it's, it's more, um, I, I don't know what the proper word is, than you, it's, it's beautiful. I, that's the only word I can think of. There's something really, really amazing about two guys going fisticuffs and just having at it. Um, that being said, it, you're right because I'm not going to pay 79 bucks. I'll I'll go pay 79 bucks to a bar that I can watch the fight at and drink all night and have fun. But I think that if it was on TV, it's something that'd be more enticing. It, ESPN, any of the major cable networks, it would be, and these guys would all be able to tell their stories much easier, probably because yeah, you know, ESPN then in between two fights can run a five minute background on someone who has an amazing story upbringing that nobody knows about but has just completely grinded through life to get to that point the three biggest fights in halloween tomorrow or whenever this gets released but halloween derek Tesora, alexander Usyk, former cruiserweight undisputed uh, undisputed champion that's on the zone you have to pay 19.99 a month for that or 100 bucks a year which i i have because i'm a big fighter guy right niola in in your way who you know, in a way, who nobody knows, he's from Japan. He's one of the bigger pound-for-pound pound guys fighting Andrew Maloney. Uh, that's on ESPN+. And then you have Gervonta Leo Santa Cruz on Showtime pay-per-view. All three of them you have to pay to watch in some form. ESPN+, Plus is obviously cheaper at $5.99 a month. Right. But the zone is 20 bucks a month or 100 bucks a year. And then you have the pay-per-view one for 80 bucks. It's like... And you almost have to pick and choose. If you're a big boxing fan, you might shell out that money, but if you're not, it's like, I'll just watch college football. Right, which is on at the same exact time. Exactly. That's tough. Or you could be like me. I'm going to a concert, like, <laughs> not watching any sports tomorrow night. Mm. But fact of the matter is, I, I totally agree. I, I honestly feel like in the year 2020, we shouldn't be charging people 80 bucks to watch some kind of sporting event. 
Um, I think it's ridiculous. Um, the wrong people are profiting from that. And the boxing politics are awful. Like, are they? I don't know. Yeah, there's, there's, you have four major sanctioning bodies WBC, the WBA, the IBF, and the WBO. The WBC has like, you are able to have like three world champions at a time. You have a franchise champion, which is like a champion where you don't have to defend the belt. You have the normal world champion, and you can have an interim world champion. Uh, the lightweight division is going to have three. The, the interim championship between Ryan Garcia, really big on Instagram, against Luke Campbell on December 5th. The regular champion, Devin Haney, is fighting November 7th. And we just had the franchise champion, Teofimo Lopez, uh, actually Lomachenko, who was the franchise champion, lose to Lo- Lopez a couple weeks ago. So in a span of, like, a month, you have three lightweight world championship fights happening. The WBA and, and one, one sanctioning body. The WBA has something similar too. And then the IBF and the WBO are smart because they have normal one world champion and maybe an interim if, if need be if someone's hurt. There's just too many. And Floyd said this. There's too many championships. Mm-hmm. There's maybe six fighters that could call themselves a world champion maybe in one weight class. That's not good. That's horrible. That's yeah. It's it's spreads the field too much. Exactly. Who is the world champion? Because you try to advertise like, oh, here's Javante Davis. He's the WBA normal regular lightweight champion. But didn't we just have the lightweight WBA lightweight champion and Teofimo Lopez just fight two weeks ago? Who's the champion? Right. You can't have like a different champion. Like, oh, one's super, the other one's a regular. So that we can just get more sanctioning fees. That's it's that's not how it should work. Does that give them the opportunity to profit off of it though? Yes. So by more not championships, only the sanctioning bodies, but also the promoters, because mm-hmm. they can promote this guy's a champion. So is this guy. So is this guy. Even though maybe a guy from another promotion or another promotion are all champions. Everyone's a fucking champion in this. In, in and there's a lot of, and there's a lot of people that just don't know boxing. That is like well. Is he really the champion? If you're a boxing guy, like, is Javante Davis really the lightweight champion? Answer's no. I mean, it's Teofimo Lopez. We know that. But it works out with, like, it, it's, it's, it's weird. It's, that's the only thing that's going to confuse a lot of people. And obviously the, 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 uh, the, the uh, sanctioning body, or, you know, that, the presidents, like Mauricio Suleiman of the WBC and Alberto Jesus Mendoza of the WBA, like they don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Like, well, we They're making money. Else. We need more champions. Sanctioning fees. We don't care. And it sucks. Now, what's worse, boxing Twitter or lacrosse Twitter? I'm not on boxing Twitter a lot. Um, if it's boxing Twitter, I think I think that I think it's kind of like we all agree that there's too many championships, but I think like it's more like maybe not the promoters, but it's more the sanctioning body people that are like, well, no, that's actually good that we have a lot of champions. It's like, no, it's not. We kind of like it's more like a, it's a, an agreement on things, and it's almost like giving out participation awards. Twitter just fights a lot about stupid things, like oh, eighty dollar jerseys. Like I don't think you understand the economics of that, and no. eighty dollar pennies. I don't think you know the economics. There's a lot of just petty discussions that are just not worth my time. No, it's not. It's not worth anybody's time. That's that's the real that's the difference. That's because this is, this is something that you can relate with, and I haven't had the opportunity to relate with it, but someone that nobody understands what's actually happening behind the scenes anywhere. It's just all talk, and that's the funny part. Um, 
it's also the part that like gets me in trouble occasionally when I say something that's like too much, but you know, somebody has to do it. Right. Yeah. Fact of the matter is lacrosse Twitter is fun. If you stay uninvolved and watch, <laughs> but I don't know. It's fun, man. This has been a blast. Um, I'll have to get you back on again sometime. We'll have to talk some more, maybe after some talk, some more boxing after I do some more research or something. Yeah. But um, before I let you go, if you have any incredibly funny story you want to tell your social media, anything you want to promote, go for it. The floor is yours. Have at it. I don't have a story. Um, actually I do have a story. There once was an ugly barnacle. He was so ugly. Everybody died at the end. That's my story. Uh, my Twitter is at Chris underscore Jast. That's my Twitter. You don't, if you want to find me on Instagram, go for it. Facebook, that's off limits. LinkedIn. Eh. Uh, but yeah, that's my Twitter. Uh, yeah, no, follow, follow. I promise you guys, if you are not following Chris on Twitter yet, you want to, because if you're a lacrosse person, first of all, he breaks great news. But if you're just a human being that lives in the United States of America, he also breaks great news that you were probably going to be curious about. So make sure you follow on Twitter. It's fantastic. Definitely. And that's, that's my plug. Um, but dude, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, we'll have to do it again soon. Wow. What an interview. I had so much fun talking to Chris and he really brought a lot of great points to the table there. I mean, first of all, the fact that we got into boxing there at the end is pretty fun because, well, I don't really know anything about boxing at all, but he really brought a lot to the table and it was a lot of fun to talk about. And uh, I can't wait to get him back on the show. But guys, guys, as I mentioned at the front of the episode, we have Election Day in America today. And I, I often talk about how I don't really care about people's politics. I'm not one for judging anyone for who they vote for. Maybe in 2020, I have a slight bit of judgment for you. But I, I, I genuinely am curious as to why you vote for someone and something along those lines. So if you want to tell your story, obviously come on the show. But today's, today's the day that you have the most important role as a citizen in this country, and it's to get out and vote. Put the people that you want in place in place. Um, don't see the polls and think, okay, this person's going to win by a landslide and not go out because, well, we all know what could happen. So voting is important. Voting in New Jersey is incredibly important. Make sure you flip over that ballot and vote yes to question one, if you know what I'm saying. Um, but one of the things that has, has really irked me this week, and if I'm being totally honest, um, I view this very much from someone who's been able to leave the country and understand how the rest of the world views America, right? Um, I think oftentimes we get caught in this little time trap or funnel of being in America where you're surrounded by some people that just adore Donald Trump and other people who absolutely hate him. And they don't, you don't realize that the, uh, the rest of the world still carries on and talks about us, right, as Americans. And due to this, they recognize that Donald Trump has quite literally made us one of the laughing stocks of the world. And it is so frustrating. It's one of the most frustrating things. And I think one of the most apparent things is for the first time in United States history, businesses are boarding up their stores right now just because there's an election going on. Like this is this is unheard of. First of all, people this should this should quite frankly frighten us as a society in recognizing that we have a man who can be voted into the highest office of our country and we have to board up our stores because we're afraid that there's going to be some kind of civil unrest, whether it be right or left. It could happen on both sides. 
And this, this is just terrifying. And it's all encouraged by him. I think that one of the things I talk about the most on the show is that love will always trump hate. And that was kind of ironic because I said Trump. But fact of the matter is, if, if we spend a little bit more time just caring about each other, rather than hating on each other, I think that it would go a really long way. So I know we're at a very big divide right now. But but the whole boarding up of stores thing, it's really been irking me this week. I just don't I don't see the first of all, I don't see the use in ever looting. So although I stand with Black Lives Matter, I do. I will always march with them. I don't like that. There's people burning and looting all the time sometimes. Well, I guess not all the time. Seven percent of all rallies. So really, most of them say peaceful. Um, but fact of the matter is, I don't think it ever there's ever a right time to burn and loot and steal people's stuff. But the fact that businesses have to do this just because one man could get elected is is really terrifying. It's just so sad because it makes you sh- it makes you notice that probably because of the Electoral College, it's not as apparent, but probably 70 percent of this country recognizes that he should not be in power or have any form of power. In fact, he should probably be in jail. And the fact that we all feel as though we need to stand up for that and have the ability to is a beautiful thing. That's the liberty and justice for all that we used to say every day in elementary school. Um but the fact of the matter is, I think I've said that three times now, the fact of the matter is that you need to get out and vote. Um, one of the best ways to silent this silent majority or whatever they keep calling themselves is to vote. Uh, put vote, vote for your local officials who are going to do the right thing and put your community and country in the best place moving forward. And so voting, voting is super, I'm super passionate about it. I was a political science major, so I believe that it's one of the most important things you can possibly do. Um, I don't know. I don't know if there's anything that comes close, actually, when you're talking about civic duties other than going to jury duty, voting for your local elections every two years so that you have the opportunity to really influence your community. Those are the elections that often don't see a great turnout. So make sure you get out, make sure you vote. And that, that's that's my spiel for today. I really just want to see as many of you take the time out of today. Maybe you're listening to this episode on your way to vote. That would be so rad. And if that's the case, I hope that you have a great voting uh, experience. There's no sort of voter suppression or fraud or intimidation going on there. And I hope that you have a great day. So that's all I got for you guys today. I hope that you enjoyed the episode. And next week, I will be back with probably one of my favorite guests to date. Um, She's really amazing in every single way possible. So I can't wait to talk to you guys again next week. Today is November 3rd. I will be coming back on November 10th. And in that time period, I will have turned 23 years old. I know it's freaking nuts. I've done 23 revolutions around the sun or something along those lines. I'm not much of a science guy. But until then, this has been a great time. Take it easy and stay grooving, everybody.